This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Sports Biz Pod. This is a breakdown interview where we are going to bring on two different guests. We usually bring on professional athletes, investors, sports executives, entrepreneurs, the whole gamut there. And for this episode, we actually have two guests, which are really interesting dynamic. We're going to have a three-way conversation. And for joining us today, we have Zach Sparber, who's a graduate assistant at Virginia Tech Football uh, has a very extensive uh, work in coaching uh, within collegiate athletics. He went to Brown University where he played football. Um, really top-notch guy studying uh, leadership and, and technology at uh, Virginia Tech. And then follow along with Carl Bostic, who is running 786 um, – sorry, am I getting that right? 786 Strategies, which is a consulting shop for professional athletes, storytelling platform. He's a lot of work at Rock Nation, Bleacher Report, also played uh, football at Elon University. So I have two amazing guests. Guys, how are you doing today? Good. Did I, did I catch everything on the intro? Anything else I, I missed out or that you'd like to throw in there? Nah, I'm good, man. Same good. So to start things off, like, how's quarantine life treating you? How's, how's the adjustment been? I, I know uh, – where, where are you guys based? You know, get the listeners to know where you're based and how that kind of adjustment's been since since COVID. Um, yeah, I'll jump in there. Uh, for me, it's been pretty solid. Um, I'm I'm in the Northeast, so spend most of my time in Brooklyn, but I came back to spend time with the folks uh, in Jersey for a while. Uh, I think the first few weeks were a bit rough because I think uh, my roommates left immediately after like we saw things shutting down and I didn't think this was going to last for as long as it has so I was I was in there like huh I'll get the apartment to myself for a few weeks great 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 and then you know weeks kept going and going and going I was like all right I need to get out of here I'm about to go stir crazy but uh, I eventually found my routine and I've been sticking to it ever since and it's it's made the transition um, a lot easier for me at least. So I'm based down here in Blacksburg, in Virginia. We really haven't missed much of a beat in terms of, I mean, we're not going into the office anymore, but we're meeting every day, 10 a.m., staff meetings. We're doing position meetings, unit meetings, and doing some recruiting as well. And I've managed to fall into a good routine myself, working out, trying to eat right, do the right thing, spend time with my fiance, get a lot of that instructional technology work done that we were talking about, trying to get that leadership stuff filtered in there. And it's been, it's been a growth process for sure. Either going to go through it or grow through it. Like to think that I've grown through the process. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and at the time of this, we're recording this in July right now and looking forward, we have a lot of like crazy things going ahead. We have progress made from the start with um, obviously COVID shorts being set, uh, shut down, also social injustice, um, kind of 
changing how we think and act and, and believe in people. So, you know, looking ahead, like what, what do you guys think's going on right now? Like anything we can start with maybe like collegiate athletics and, and professional sports, like what's the, the fall going to look like? What's the end of the summer going to look like from, from your guys' standpoint? Um, I think, you know, today we saw a lot of like good news, not good news, but some news come down the pipeline with, uh, I think it's the ACC and Big Ten and some other conferences choosing to uh, just shorten their season to, to just conference games, which I think is very interesting, you know, because in a lot of ways, those non-conference games are, are beneficial to both sides for you know, powerhouses like the SEC, for Bamas of the world. You, you get those non-conference games in there to give your guys a little bit of breather from a grinding season. And for, you know, the smaller schools, let's call spade a spade. It's a huge payday, you know, to be able to go play those games and, and they're not going to have that opportunity. So everyone is thinking about COVID, which they rightfully should be. But uh, my, that's where my mind kind of goes. And, and, and lastly, just the experience that you get of playing in the horseshoe if you do go to a smaller school or going in into Blacksburg, Virginia, and playing against Virginia Tech. Um, those are experiences that are now getting taken away from players, which is sad to see. Yeah, it's all in all a process that nobody is really happy about. Everybody's having to adjust and adapt on the fly. And the way different teams – respond to all this is going to determine who ends up being pretty good. And we are, where we are right now. Like you said, I, I know it was the big 10 for sure. Went to conference only play today and we'll see where it goes from there. Very hard to predict. It seems like we get new information all the time. I do think college football will be back. I don't know when I hope sooner rather than later, but who knows. Yeah. And, and like, each sport is going to have its own unique issues and problems where it's like one of the first sports back was UFC and they're able to kind of really like take one person, isolate them testing regularly. Um, and then basketball right now that's about to start up in Orlando. They're in bubbles. A lot of, you know, pretty much the entire Brooklyn Nets um, roster. It might not even participate in a lot of teams or kind of catching it. So we'll see some, entire teams might pull out um but at least you know maybe zach from your standpoint like um you, since you're back on campus how's that like process been for like testing and regulating and like is there a bubble or like how's that kind of how's the process been for that so every day you walk in the facility you get hit with the thermometer you got your mask on when you're indoors at all times and our players are working out in groups of 10 we've got it set up in the indoor facility where Everything's spaced out and we're following all the regulations. I got tested today for the first time and it was not fun. I did the whole, I know some people have just gotten the nose swab or the saliva, but they jammed that thing all the way up in there and in your nostril. And they're talking about doing that once a week throughout the season. So um, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And our guys have gotten tested. We've been fortunate that we haven't had major outbreaks. We haven't had to shut anything down. We have, We've just kind of been going and doing, following the rules and trying to do our best within the guidelines that the CDC has given us. It's, it's an arduous process. It's a lot, it's a lot of logistics. Uh, yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Carl, anything that maybe you're seeing from, you know, I know you're working with some NFL guys, like they, they're not necessarily in the bubble yet, but they might be regularly tested or if there's any like kind of protocols that you've seen that, that might be, might be going on if you can touch on that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any major protocols. I think every team is going to have to take it bit by bit. Um, from what I know, the expectation 
is for players to start reporting third week of July. Um, but, you know, I think there's still a lot of gray area right now um, with, with that discussion um, on what the season looks like. So it's like without even having a whole season and plan in place, like asking players to report at any given time is kind of unfair to them, uh, to say the least. Uh, so we'll see. But, you know, for, for most of the guys that we work with, they're at home right now, chilling, um, you know, social distancing, all that good stuff, working out. So. To Zach's point, I think football will happen this fall, collegiately and, and professionally. What it's going to look like, though, is the, the, the money ball question. Yeah. And, I mean, you see, like, the Ivy League, that they're not even going to have a season. They're, you know, some of these bigger athletic, you know, conferences, ACC, Big Ten, SEC, they really rely on it. But the Ivy League, their brand is really education almost first and above all everything. So it's, you know, it's a ton of logistics that it's, you know, I don't know how it's going to sort out, but, you know, I, I agree with that too, with there's going to be college football in some sense. We just, you know, it's not going to be like it has been, you know, last year. So. And there has been talk of a possible spring season as well. That is that's kind of been thrown around a little bit. The bubble, the bubble, that's the problem. So in the NFL, you can maybe create a bubble. I don't know. Apparently, you know, in NBA, there's been you know extensive talks about how they're going to create that environment in college, unless you have a dorm where you can put everybody in one place and keep them, keep them in check, it's going to be very difficult to manage 18 to 22 year olds on a campus with co-eds. It's just going to be an extremely challenging situation. Until have you seen, uh, Zach, have you seen anybody look to reclassify or to redshirt? Because that's one thing that I see about to happen, right? Where like if the season gets shortened and you were going to use this year to really showcase why you deserve a shot at the next level. If you don't have a full season, like I'm gonna be honest, I'd be like, I'm just going to sit out this year and let's try this again next year. If I have that eligibility. There's definitely some guys who have, who have gone down that road and have certainly talked about it. If yeah. you have, a, if you have the red shirt year to burn, why not? Exactly. Right. Like I'm just going to sit this whole code. All right. So yeah. I, see, I see a lot of guys doing that this year. And, and even also just from a safety perspective, like you see, uh, even for some some in the MLB, a lot of pitchers and big name players are, are saying, like, I, I'm not going to play. My my wife's pregnant. We I don't want to get her sick. Like, there's even that sense too, where it's like, you know, juggling logistics of like, all right, we well, need to showcase your talents, get some highlight reels, but it's also like you got to stay safe. So, you know, those are some really complex things that like we've never faced, and then you know, another kind of topic to bring up that, you know, figure out how, how can we kind of work through this is just a lot with social injustice. That's another puzzle that, that we're really facing right now and the dynamic of coach to player at the collegiate and also pro level. So like, how do you guys see that kind of relationship, you know, building, you know, some, you know, I think a lot of coaches have done a good job that to, to build that trust and stick by the side of their players. But, you know, you, you also saw some, even at the professional level, bridges being burned so like you know what are your guys takes on that and how do how do the coaches you know and and athletes kind of have that strong relationship um I'll let Zach you you can definitely take that first as you're closer to that uh that world than I but I also have some thoughts so I'll let you take that sure I'd start with saying that it's a very uncomfortable conversation to have and with any growth, there's going to be a certain level of productive discomfort there. So people kind of have to get over that. And you have to have those tough conversations as a white coach 
coaching predominantly black kids, if you're not putting it out there and you're not giving the chance for them to talk to you and for you to listen to them, then I think you're behind the eight ball a little bit, if not a lot of it. And I also think it's a responsibility for white coaches who are working with black kids to educate themselves because you're going to hear their perspective and you may get it, you may not, but there's a lot of literature on the topic and I've started to educate myself and I lear I've learned a lot of things. And I, I think that there's really two things probably that I've learned more than anything else that I think in, in this relationship that are going to be super important. And probably the one thing is, is the good versus bad binary racism situation. And I think that white people try to dismiss the conversation of racism because they say, oh, I'm not racist because I had a lot of black friends because I have circumstantial evidence or I don't see color. Well, as Carl, you and I have talked about before, it's kind of an insensitive comment because you might not see color because you're white because race doesn't matter to you. But mm -hmm. when a black person walks out of the house, they're black and they know it and they see it and oh. people see them and they're treated different ways, even if it's not like outward racism, like mm -hmm. that's not, that's the idiot zone, right? Like the guys flying their Confederate flags and, and saying terrible, using God awful language. That's not, that's not really the conversation. And Carl, I've heard you say this before that it's a spectrum mm -hmm. and trying to get ourselves away from where we're, we just dismiss the conversation because we were brought up to treat everybody equally. Well, people aren't treated equally. And there's a lot of systematic issues in this country that are a big problem. And moving forward, for me, my purpose has always been to try and help the guys that I'm with and try to be involved with really everybody, coaches and players, anybody who I'm around, I hope that they have a competitive advantage moving forward in life for having been around me. And now I'm starting to realize it's a lot bigger than that. And it's about more than football, it's about really trying to be a part of, I don't want to see it. See, this is the other thing, right? Is that like white, white people can get into the thing like, Oh, like the, the, trying to help. It's, it's going to, I feel bad. I want to help like, like that. Yeah. It's not like that. I just want to be involved. Like I want to, I want to be a part of, I want to be on the right side of history, man. Like I want to, I want to be involved where I can hopefully help dismantle white supremacy, which is the second thing that I learned, right? Because I think to that point, yes, I think that point, right? Like it's making sure that you're not approaching it from trying to, from what's called like the savior complex, where you're trying to like, come, I will save you black people. Yes. I'm here to do that. Like, no, because like at the end of the day, like me being a black man of color, like I'm going to be fine regardless. I've been fine for 27 years. I'm going to be okay. Um, but, you know, having allies, having people reach out and, and trying to find out new ways to get involved, I think is the key. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not my, my responsibility to educate Zach, Nick, you know, anybody else. But, and that shouldn't be how you approach somebody. And also like as a black person, that's not what you want to hear. Like what, like, what should I be doing? Like, yo, Google it. There's tons of shit you can be doing. But that being said, at the same time, saying like, hey, I'm prepared to help you do X, Y, Z, use me as a resource. That type of conversation is more helpful. And I think specifically for me in my industry, 
uh, uh, me and my business partner and, and, and team in general, we've been helping a lot of our guys uh, tap into that conversation in a way that, you know, is going to be comfortable for each guy. Because when you think about professional athletes, we always say you have this platform, you know, X, Y, Z, but like not everybody, you know, can carry the torch and be out there on the front lines, voicing their opinion. Some people just don't feel comfortable that way. You know, so, you know, it's finding opportunities that make sense for each guy, but also allowing their impact to be felt and their voices to be heard, whether it's one person, an audience of one or an audience of, you know, 1000, um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I think just as long as we're each putting ourselves out there to help one another and, and kind of navigate this whole thing, um, then we're going to come out better on the other side. We're going to grow through it, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. Grow through it. That's, that's the deal, man. And that's, that's what, even then we're having the conversation and I start talking and I felt like that savior complex. I was like, that's not it. Exactly. That's not, exactly. That's not it. But, but having that, that, that consciousness that, you know, that like, that's not it. That's going to be the big hurdle because there's tons of people that are out here like, yo, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to put the team on my back. And it's like, we don't need that right now, bro. We're Get involved. Yeah. yeah. It's a team effort. There's no doubt. And, yeah. and, but the one thing though, that I do think white people get, get into is like the white supremacy situation. I mean, it's just, it's systemic though. It's systemic. Like it is, it's, it is, you know, it's not something like you're saying, like it's, it's a spectrum. Like white supremacy is as much as you ignoring the problem as you saying white power like there there's no difference it's just like you just might be a little bit further back on the spectrum but you're still on the racist side right and and people don't realize yeah for example jackie robinson is always my go-to example that people think jackie robinson is the first black player to break into the major leagues not exactly Jackie Robinson is the first black player who white people allowed to play in the in major league baseball. Mm-hmm. Like there weren't any black players good enough before. Page. I had a Satchel Page jersey. You know, me yeah, and- come on, exactly. Satchel Page is a legend. So exactly. Um, you're you're like the Congress Congress, US Congress, 90% white, heads of book publishing companies, heads of the music industry, heads of TV networks. These people are all white. So yeah. To be able to, white people are going to have to get involved. You can't yeah. just dismiss it. If you if you say that it's important to you, you have to get involved. If you yeah. think that it's a real issue, and the problem is, is that just like everything else in this country, and I, I love this country, but people tend to make things very political. And to me, this is not a political issue. This it's is a human rights issue. Exactly. Yeah. Human yeah. rights issue. You guys get it. Yeah, and it seems like to summarize that too, it's like just being proactive is and, and self-educating yourself. You can't expect other people to hand you, you have to figure it out. And then the people, there are people that you probably really could help and it's reaching out in a genuine way. I'm not your savior. You know, it's educating All right, Here are the resources, here are ways to get involved. Is, is marching a good way to do it? Maybe is donating money, donating resources. Maybe it's, it's a whole generational shift of underserved communities don't have the same access to mentors, technology, we have to start from the, the ground up and then also the top down, you, you know, even being, a, you know, a white male, I don't really enjoy seeing all the politicians being white and I don't enjoy that. I'd rather see a much more 
diverse group of people, I think that's best for everybody. So it's something that, you know, we were, you know, we're, we're millennial. We kind of were born into this kind of shit storm in a way where it's like, we're the generation to kind of fix it. So, you know, it, it's a complex issue. It's a tough conversation, but, you know, I think for out of any other generation, we're more poised to kind of work with each other, in, in my opinion, to kind of get through this. And, um, you know, there's definitely been real change and, you know, you know, maybe, maybe a good segue as well. It's like, you know, that's kind of a dynamic, right? We we're talking about this dynamic of social change and that's actually really bringing people closer together and kind of uniting sports and especially with sports being on a standstill, right? Sports, in my opinion, moves culture forward. Right. And we haven't had, we haven't had sports. We haven't had things to do. So, you know, like what are you guys like most looking forward to once sports get back? Like, how do you think this maybe will help elevate that kind of same conversation or will it, it could potentially hurt it too. Like, you know, what's your guys thoughts on that once, once things get you know back and running? I think, uh, I think it's going to be on a case by case, individual by individual, like um, basis. Right. Because uh, I think the beautiful thing about sports is that there's always a story, right? There's always some storyline. Now, food for thought, imagine if every time somebody got interviewed, they brought the conversation back to social injustice. Hey, how was your game tonight? You know what? I just want to let everyone know that there's still people out there fighting on the front lines, you know, marching because there is an issue going on that we needed to address in our country. Like the same way that March on Lunch became synonymous for just being like, just confrontational when it comes to interviews. Like what if every athlete decided when I get interviewed, I am diverting the entire conversation to social injustice. Then at that point, play all day. And then when you interview me, you interview LeBron, you interview Kyrie, you interview whoever, the conversation is coming back to the same place every time. So like, yeah, sports are back, but if we can find a way to bring, you know, the, the focus you know, even though it's on sports for a few minutes, a few moments in time, because that's truly what brings people together. But then once the, 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 the final ticks of the clock are gone, we immediately shift the focus back to what really matters. Then I think you we're able to find some happy medium because I, I understand both sides where I've seen some players talk about, you know, returning to sports, you know, diverts uh, attention from, you know, the larger conversation. But I also saw Patty Mills, you know, talking about like, yes, I'm going to play in Orlando because that's going to give me more money to support minority communities. So like, that's a great example of, yes, I'm playing, but here's what I'm doing with it. Or yes, I'm playing, but this is why I'm playing. And if we continue to create like a cycle um, where we're always diverting back to, to the, to the task at hand, I think it's going to be a, a beautiful marriage of uh, attention. I'm with you. I think that it needs to continue to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. it can't be something that just goes by the wayside. And I think that from my perspective as a coach, I would love for that to be part of the situation, right? Because the one thing that you don't want a guy to do is get up there. And we were having this conversation before, because most of the time we're the interviewing your better players who are usually your leaders exactly. so you go up there and they say, Oh yeah, I was thinking this, I was doing this. I was, I, 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 well, that's great. It was an awesome game. My teammates were awesome, but Hey, there's this, this, and this going on in the country right now. And everybody needs to, I hope that you watch me play. That's great. But everybody needs to focus on, what's going on on redlining and, and the way and the education system and the fact that we have black history month where only one month out of the year a color has a perspective every other, all the other 11 months, what are the other 11 months about? Exactly. I mean, it's, 
it's, it's, there, there are systemic issues that need to continue to be addressed. And if sports can do that, for me, that's the only chance I have, right? I, I, at least that's the way I look at it right now. Right. Because I talked about what my purpose was and all that and, and in terms of being a football coach. But the winner, whoever wins the national championship, whoever wins the Super Bowl, they go to the White House. So chances are you're going to have, when you call the, the director of education or you call the governor of wherever you're, you're a coach, they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to talk to you. So being able to use the platform of sport to make real change has to be at the forefront. It has to continue to be at the forefront. And I think that, and we've talked a little bit about it. I know, Carl, you, you're very well versed in it in terms of the name, image, and likeness stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have, hopefully, a situation where players are going to have more information about how they can create a platform for themselves at a younger age. And, and you're already starting to see it. Um, you just open Twitter and it's, it's yeah. everywhere. And in a lot of ways for, for some, for some coaches and, and maybe rightfully so, whatever, it's scary because they're everything they say, they have to watch themselves and they feel like, Hey, I say the wrong thing. It can end up on Twitter. Well, maybe we it's really important that we the way that we speak in our language and the way that we communicate is is critical it's paramount i believe that that in terms of developing behavioral skill language is huge mm-hmm. i really believe that like in terms of in terms of developing great discipline and intention and purpose and skill and eliminating or mitigating impulse and autopilot and resistance to the work that needs to be done in terms of creating a, a skill and propensity for resilience and response. The language that you use is very important. If you just say, if you just let it fly, you can know what you want to get done. But if you don't clearly explain how to do it, a lot of times that stuff can fall off. So it's the same thing. I think it, with social injustice, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. If you don't explain how to do it and you're not, you're not talking about how to get involved, I believe that, it can, I don't want to say it, it, it ends up falling short. I don't want to make it seem like people's efforts are, are in vain, but language is, is critical. I really believe that. Do you think that it's, uh, and, and you talk about, you know, not wanting guys to let it fly um, when it comes to language and stuff like that. If, if we think about the, the, the optics, right, you have this, in most cases, white male, telling these young black males what they can and can't say as a man, like on my Twitter, not related to the team, but you're saying I can't say this because you don't want me to. I think the beautiful thing about name image likeness is like, we're getting, we're trying to break that mold because like that authoritative figure on on your lifestyle should not be a construct, right? Like, I get it, every team is different. You know, every team is gonna have their different, you know, culture. Um, But the hope is that when a player commits to your school, he's buying into the culture of that team. That's hope, the the expectation. So like, in some cases, guys are gonna make mistakes. Guys are gonna say stupid things, but you kinda gotta let a man become a man in in some cases, You, you have to. And you have to build a culture where, you know, obviously accountability and responsibility are key, but to your point, communication, where if I did something wrong, let's talk about it. 
don't just say I can't do this because you said so. Cause like, quite honestly, you're not my dad. You're not my parent. You're not. You, and you're probably more likely to do it if someone says it like that. Exactly. 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 So like, I'm super excited about name image likeness. I know our team at 786 has done a lot of research and, and stuff and being preparing ourselves to offer services to help um, universities like Virginia Tech navigate this. But and the biggest thing that I preach when I when I talk with colleges is the importance of having a trusted figure to be that mediator, because, you know, Zach is uncle. Coach Fuente is dad, but I can be older brother. And you're going to tell older brother, you, you stole the car last night. You're going to tell older brother, you might be failing in this class. And the earlier that you tell older brother, older brother can kind of tell dad, but keep the peace in the household. But by catching it early, you can mitigate risk. And that's the biggest thing because well, my biggest fear in relation to all of this is that programs try to be so uptight about how they want to handle it and they cause and they end up pushing players away and when you push players away they're more likely to engage in risky behavior which can then become a detriment not only to the team but to themselves as young men and at the end of the day you know i remember when i was getting recruited you know zach you know me and zach went to high school together um having you know Coach whoever in my living room telling me, I'm going to take you and help you become a better man. Well, if that's truly your goal, then you need to start treating these, these young players like men and positioning them in a uh, – put them in a position to make, you know, smart decisions for themselves that will hopefully reflect positively on the university. So something that I completely agree, by the way, I think in, in, a, lot, in a lot of ways with a lot of things that you said, yeah. I think that the the idea of just doing something because you, I say so, those days are dead. Yeah. <laughs> OD. Oh, it's, it's, it's today. And even when we played, you wanted to know why. Absolutely. And, yeah. and frankly, you're going to be able to perform better both behaviorally and technically on the football field if you know why you're doing what you're doing, both from a – okay, a holistic standpoint, I have my why, I wanna work hard so I can provide a better life for my eventual family or my mom and dad now or whatever. But also, why do I have to block him like this? Why do I have to behave like this? Why, it's never gonna be because I said so. Nobody, no kid today, no, no kid, they're too smart, they have, they have these. Right. Yeah. Like they all have the Internet right in front of them. They can go and they can look it up and find a, a better way to do it. So if you're not looking to institute best practices in terms of this name, image and likeness thing, it's going to it's going to hurt. Yeah. And, and, and something that, to, to point on that with like what we were just talking about, where even this season where if people are diverting interviews, like how's the game, you know, we're talking, you're talking about Black Lives Matter or movement like that. That's, you know, using your name, image, likeness in a way, not necessarily for profitability, but for a good cause. Right. But the other side of it, I think that we could still kind of unravel is like from the profitability standpoint, it's going to be complex. There could be resentment from the universities, from the NCAA, that these players are now able to 
bankroll and learn and be entrepreneurs, right? Which, you know, was essentially prohibited. And, you know, like, what do you guys think about that? Like, you know, from, from that standpoint, how is that going to be kind of logistically? Yo, so, so Nick, do you know everything you just said is legal and permitted to everyone who's not a collegiate athlete? Like everything you just said is completely legal for not a collegiate athlete. Well, not exactly. Right? It's going to 2021 now. We're, we're... No, I'm saying if you're not a collegiate athlete, everything you're saying is completely legal. Like, exactly. Yeah. You can yeah. be a college student and make money off your name, image, likeness. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and from, from that standpoint where it's like, you know, I was fortunate. I went to a big, you know, SEC school and I started multiple businesses and I learned so much more from doing that than any classroom could teach me. Right. And I would be friends with a lot of student athletes and say there'd be a project and they couldn't even send out a tweet, but I could go out there and promote and do it, you know, be my marketing guy. Like, exactly. but, you know, that's what's frustrating. You know? but, but no, but that, to me, it's not even frustrating. Like, I just think that's so laughable that there's yeah. so much, uh, you know, uh, conversation and combativeness around something that is entirely legal to everyone who is not a collegiate athlete. It's not even like we're trying to create some rules and stipulations that never existed before. Yeah. We're just trying to now expand the, the legal of those rights to everybody who goes to that school or that university or is a human. And most of the athletes are doing more work than a lot of the regular common, you know, just lazy college students, right? They're putting in more work. They're more entrepreneurial. They're smarter. They're quicker, but then they can't use what they built. Right. And that's, you know, and, 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 someone and, has and, a, yeah. and then at the end of the day, right? Like if you want to get legal with it, the colleges and the universities and NCAA don't want kids profiting off of what the university owns, right? But the same way that Justin Fields left Georgia and went to Ohio State, he's still Justin Fields. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. he Justin Fields at Ohio State, he'll be a Justin Fields if he goes to Texas, he'll be Justin Fields if he goes to Oklahoma. It doesn't matter, right? So if you're telling me that my athleticism, the hard work that I put in is now owned by a university because I wear your jersey, well, then I'm going to take the jersey off. Like, that's not that hard. And ultimately, right, that's what we're fighting for. And when I say we, the proverbial former. And even if, you know, the jersey deals, right, you see Under Armour, they had the largest, most lucrative um, athletic licensing deal with UCLA and now the athletic well, program wasn't doing well and the athletes weren't maybe you know boosting the likeness of the jersey now they're trying to pull out and it, there's a lot of things but at the end of the day you know when this opens up the floodgates open which is set to happen in 2021 in a yeah. few states that you're not going to see a ton of just multi-millionaires coming out of college right like you might see a few right the number one or number two quarterbacks they might get a huge nation blue chip type brand but most of these types of activations in my opinion will be you know small local car dealership that's local to that that community right you know and, rather than a huge nationwide brand it's going to be very localized but yeah and, and to that point man like i think i hear you on that and i agree i agree on that but i think everyone is thinking about it all wrong right mm -hmm. as, as a former co collegiate athlete who is not top five percent you know, of the team. I wasn't a star quarterback. I wasn't a star player by any means. Shit, I wasn't even a star player on our high school team. You know, we had tons of recruits, and Zach knows. Um, but this opportunity, you know, everyone thinks about it in those, you know, those, those three to four years that you're in college. But the opportunity to storytell and create a narrative 
goes way beyond what you do in, in college. Hold on one second, Dad. I'm on a podcast. Um, yeah. Austin. Yeah. Work from home. It's all good. <laughs> Zach Sparber. Hey, Sparber. How you doing, man? Um, yeah. So the opportunity to make money goes way beyond those three to four years that you're actually in school, right? Because if you're not, you know, the number one quarterback and you're a backup, but maybe you love fishing, right? There's an opportunity for you to tell the story of, of your love for fishing off the field and, and build that into a following of fishermen or people who are come to you for fishing advice, best place to go fishing, best toolkits to use, best rod, best, best bait. And then down the line, Bass Pro Shops comes calling and wants you on the cover of their magazine, right? People don't think that way. And like at 786, you know, shame, uh, you know, shameless plug. That's what we're coming here to do is to help guys understand that your narrative goes beyond football. And there's something that you bring to the table that is unique to you. How do we unpack that and articulate that in a way that's visually engaging and people want to be part of that conversation? And then once you've done that enough, you can then package that experience up and take it to a Bass Pro Shops, or maybe you're in the fitness and you could take that to Gold's Gym, or maybe you're into just style and glasses and you take it to Warby Parker. Those are the ways that you think about building. And if you're sitting there saying that we're gonna service the top 3% of, of athletes because they're the bigger names, then if I'm a recruit, that's what you're telling me or is that's what you're showing me at your school well i'm gonna go to a school that can do better because it's not fair to me as a player if i'm busting my ass the same as justin fields but all the attention from the university and the and the resources are going behind him because he just is a bigger name which no no shade and i get it but like it we, the university needs to take the onus of leveling the playing field not only for football but for girls track for lacrosse and and, and what have you I think it's a, I think it's a great business plan. I think it's an awesome idea. I do think as a, as a football coach, though, there has to be certain landmarks that you're meeting from other other because there's like like you said, Nick, as a college football player, you're very very busy. There's a lot of lot. There's a lot of there, you know. There's 24 hours in a day. Absolutely. You have a lot of things going on. I'm not saying that this can't be done. I think that there's that there's certainly opportunity and there's white space there. To, to be able to maneuver in that, that nobody's working in right now that I've heard of, and especially described the way that you have. Everybody oh, talks about it from a blue chip or from a local, local you know, billboards or whatever. Exactly. And to your point, like... You should have, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm thinking about it, you know, coaches going in my head. You should Absolutely. have certain landmarks to even have the conversation with you in terms of your grade point average, in terms of the way that you handle your business on and off the field, the attitude that you have, how well do you embody the culture and the standards of our program? And if you're that type of guy and you're OKG, you're our kind of guy, now, okay, yeah, absolutely. You go work with Carl and, and you, you can put together your Bass Pro Shop deal and, or your fishing deal or your, your, your glasses deal or whatever it is, your fashion deal. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fantastic and I think it's a way to – continue to create incentive to get guys to align with your culture be you align with us you and know you know you opportunities to be you you we're know you opportunities to grow on and off the field like you said to your point earlier we're going to give you the op we're going to make you into a better man well not only 
Are we going to do that in the classroom, on the football field, and in your social life and spiritually? But we're also going to create avenues for you while you're here, not just like, hey, you know, we place guys in different internships and we do this and we do that, but we're actually going to give you tools to go be an entrepreneur. I think it's, I think it's awesome, man. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all I, in. Think, I think, Zach, to your point though, right, you were saying that there needs to be benchmarks and, and check marks for you to get access to these source resources. The one, the one thing to be aware of, right? I do, we've done, my team, we've done a lot of reading of, of the legislation. Legally, they can do whatever they want. Oh yeah, no, I'm not right. saying, I'm saying though, if you work for the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. Because there is, there is some level here. You can't just act but, like that, that them getting. The, but, that, the fear, but the fear, right, is quite honestly they're saying fuck you fuck your system and i'm gonna go work with an outside source or i'm gonna go find somebody on my own some shady character some you know whatever but great, great cultures great cultures are exclusive first and inclusive second i i if, agree if they don't I want agree. to align with the culture then i'm not you know they're not they they don't have to be here they can go someplace else I agree. That's, that's I, a good point. They'll they'll definitely be guardrails to kind of prevent that for keeping integrity from the university, but then also just letting letting students be entrepreneurial is the best thing that they can do for you. We're, we're a country built on entrepreneurship, so letting them learn and and they're not going to be super successful or they might have like a huge like ten million ten million following and get all these ad deals, but they have the opportunity to attempt right and yeah, then a lot a of, you know thing. a lot of, yeah that's just what it is giving them the yeah. shot to attempt something you know, off the field. So. And I guess, and I guess that part of it is also through recruiting. You're not recruiting guys that you're, that you're going to expect aren't going to exactly. do the things that you're asking them to do. You're, exactly. you're bringing guys into your program that you expect will meet the standards that you have for them and that you've set for yourself first and, mm -hmm. and them, and they'll be in, it'll all be copacetic and work together and intertwine. Mm -hmm. And you're going to create not only great people, great football players, but also great business people. Exactly. Yeah, the last yeah, a, yeah I was going to say uh, to, to kind of to wrap things up, like, you know, if there's anything else to add to that uh, standpoint with that, but um, yeah, I mean, name, image and likeness is coming, you know, kind of full force and, you know, it's going to change the dynamic of the athlete to the, the player, but, you know, don't want to cut you off there, Carl, but, you know, if there's any kind of, you know, final thoughts on that kind of thing or, or maybe ways to kind of, um, you know, leave the listeners with something, uh, you know, about what you're looking forward to. Yeah, man. Um, the last thing I was going to say is that education is going to be a big part of it. Like, I, I think everyone can agree on that. But the, the programs that are going to get ahead, and when I mean get ahead, it's truly having a, a infrastructure where players feel like they're supported and that they're getting the most out of whatever the solution for each university is. Um, it is going to be a program where, where they, they're going to be more hands-on. And when I mean more hands-on, it's hands-on with providing resources, not necessarily being hands-on with the players' individual businesses, because that's not going to be allowed legally. Um, but providing, you know, that third party to come in and provide education, but also an understanding of implementation of, what, of what's being discussed is really going to be key. Because I, from what I see in the marketplace, there's a lot of people that are just like providing information, providing information, but you know, Zach knows, you know, if I tell a guy that, you know, that this is the play and, and you know, this is the, the, what the technique he's supposed to use and we never actually go on the field and actually practice it. I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't trust that he'll be able to do it on game day. 
So the same way that you're in the classroom talking about, you know, how to how to go through a contract, how to understand different verbiage and things like that. But you're not actually out there in the field with them when the time comes, helping them understand contracts and negotiations and, and you know, stuff like that, then you know, players are going to make mistakes, but also you're going to see a lot of uh, cautionary tales come down the pipeline. So. That's a good point. That's all I got to say on that. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, so what was the, what was the question exactly? What are, what yeah, are no, it's just um, anything to kind of, it's kind of final thoughts to wrap wrap it up here you know you know with all the we've had a kind of jam-packed conversation but it could could be completely unrelated to whatever we spoke about just you know either mindset or whatever it is but just something to kind of leave the listeners i'm with you final thoughts man i'm just excited to keep growing that's really all i can i can say i don't i don't really get too hyped up about looking at the future we all have long-term plans and long-term goals and I hope that this name, image, and likeness thing provides avenues and opportunities for guys that previously wouldn't have had them. And that's, that's exciting from the standpoint of somebody who's in this business to help people. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the opportunity to go out and, and hopefully this thing, this all gets taken care of, this all this, this COVID stuff. But I'm just taking it day by day, trying to take ownership of, of what I, what I do and what I put out there into the universe, seek out the obstacles, respond with mental and physical toughness, purpose, relentless effort, and try to channel my emotions and my inner workings into competing to be the best at the task at hand. That's all work to do every day. And that's what I'm excited about. That's what gets me juiced up. Let's go. Well, you guys are awesome. Um, Thanks for everyone listening in and, and go connect with uh, Carl and Zach on LinkedIn, Instagram, and, and other platforms and, and keeping the loop what they're doing. They're doing a lot of big things. So uh, thank you guys for coming on and I and, uh, hope you guys continue to stay safe and, and healthy. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate, Appreciate you, man. It. Cheers. Thanks for having us, man.